Good morning, everyone. Junior Church, you are dismissed to walk. Four years old through fourth grade. Listen, they're being so quiet. Don't ruin it. <laughs> no, not you. All year we've been going through the book of Acts, and our theme this year is... Des- All right, I wish I had a cookie. I've given it to you right there. And whenever we go on a trip... Um, you want to visit different destinations. You want to see different sites. Many people will pick certain cities to go to because of what's offered there. Charlton, South Carolina, as you'll see up here, was ranked as the best city to visit by TravelAndLeisure.com. And this is what they said. With its charming architecture, powerhouse culinary scene, Charleston has reigned as our readers' favorite U.S. city for impressive nine years running. People have wrote, how could you not love this cobblestone streets, the beautiful color houses, the gas lanterns. You can take a carriage ride or catch a boat ride. It's such a historical treasure with beauty at every corner. And if you are a foodie, this is a haven for you. King Street has excellent shops and restaurants, and it's for all ages. Um, One person wrote, who um, toured the city says one of the friendliest places that I've ever visited. I've never visited there, so I can't tell you about that. But I know there are plenty of places that we'd like to visit that I enjoy visiting here in the States. And there's people who love to visit different places all over the globe. In chapter 17 of Acts, where we're going to be today, um, we're going to see Paul and his companions going on their second missionary Journey. They're going to go through several different cities. And as we look for the next several Sundays, as we look at these different cities, we're going to see how we also visit or live in these cities. Now, I'm not saying you've traveled that same journey, but as we look at this, see how these cities are someplace where we visit. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 17, Paul and Silas then traveled through the towns of Amphipolis, and Apollyon, and came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was Paul's custom, he went to the synagogue service, and for three Sabbaths in a row, he used the scriptures to reason with people. He explained the prophecies and proved that the Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead. He said, this Jesus I'm telling you about is the Messiah. Some of the Jews who listened were persuaded to join Paul and Silas, along with many God-fearing Greek men, and quite a few prominent women. Before we dive in, let's ask God to talk. God, we come before you, Lord, as we look into your word. I ask that you'd remove um, barriers, distractions, that you would invade this place with your voice, with your spirit, and you speak to our hearts, God. Let us hear you. Let us know your voice today. And in Jesus we pray. Amen. Paul and Silas go to Thessalonica, and this is the capital of the province of Macedonia, one of the largest cities and a very prominent city, prosperous. This mainly due because it was the hub of sea and land travel. So all this trade is coming in. It's um, the heartland of an agricultural area of Macedonia. And the church eventually grew and was quite influential in Thessalonica, 
for the witness of Jesus Christ. As we can tell later by two of Paul's letters that we call 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. In his first letter, in 1st Thessalonians 1, Paul says this, As a result, you have become an example to all the believers in Greece, throughout both Macedonia and Achaia. And now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere, even beyond Macedonia and Achaia, for what, wherever we go, we find people telling us about your faith in God. This church in Thessalonica gets started. Paul, we're going to read this in chapter 17 where it really gets started. But their faith grows so big, so strong, that people everywhere are talking about them. Now, it's a big, prosperous town. It's agriculture. It's got a seaport. It's got all these trade routes coming in. And it would kind of seem obvious that so many people would want to start talking about this great movement. And so many people were influenced by it. The odd thing is there are towns we're going to visit that are smaller. And they don't have the footprints. The footprints going in and out of the town. And yet they still have the same legacy. I'd stop right now and just say kind of like St. Joe. We don't even have a blinking light. And yet I keep hearing people in Fort Wayne talking about this church. That's pretty cool. They always ask, where is it? They don't know any place. Even Seckler's, they don't know where that is yet, but they know Auburn, so I have to tell them that. And then they say, what is going on there? They want to know what you guys are. And that's what Paul, later in First Thessalonians, is telling. So here in chapter 17, he starts the church there. Their faith grew and their, their message about Christ grew. But that's not that all that happens when he starts this church. Verse 5. Some of the Jews were jealous. So they gathered some troublemakers from the marketplace to form a mob and start a riot. They attacked the home of Jason, searching for Paul and Silas, so they could drag them out to the crowd. Not finding them there, they dragged out Jason and some of the other believers instead and took them before the city council. Paul and Silas have caused trouble all over the world, they shouted, and now they are here disturbing our city too. Jason has welcomed them into his home. They are guilty of treason against Caesar, for they profess allegiance to another king named Jesus. The people of the city as well as the city council were thrown into turmoil by these reports. So the officials forced Jason and the other believers to post bond, and then they released them. Now who took these people to the, the town council? Who barged into the home and dragged them out? Jews. People who knew about the Old Testament. People who knew and were taught about God. They came in and said slanderous things. These people have started an uproar. These people. Who are the Jews' allegiance supposed to be to? God. These people have pledged allegiance to a different king. Not Caesar, but one called Jesus. These are the same Jews, if you read earlier, that couldn't argue against Paul. They couldn't win the debate. They didn't like Paul was preaching, and they especially didn't meet, like what it was doing to their standing. And verse 5 holds the key to how they felt. But some of the Jews were jealous. 
that this city, this city is about that. This is the city we travel to, not Thessalonica. Talking about the city of jealousy. There are two shopkeepers who are very bitter, bitter rivals across the street from each other. And they spend each day keeping track of how many people went into the other business. And, and they try to make sure, and they market things against each other. They'd smile and triumph if they got more customers or if they had more sales. One night an angel of the Lord appeared to the shopkeeper in a dream and says, I will give you anything you ask, but whatever you receive, your competitor will receive twice as much. Would you want to be rich? But if you're rich, you'll be twice as wealthy. Do you wish to live a long and healthy life? You can, but he will live longer and healthier. What is your desire? The shopkeeper sat there and frowned for a moment, and then he smiled. He goes, here is my request. Strike me blind in one eye. You can always tell when Tony gets it. I love you, Tony. And yet, how many times are we like that? I don't care if something bad happens to me, but make sure it's double to that person. Why do you suppose that many people allow jealousy to hinder their relationships, their spiritual life, or even the growth of their ministry in the church? The Jews says they became infuriated with jealousy towards Paul and Silas when they preached. And this was a blessing about God including them, taking their sins away, bringing more people, and they got jealous about it. It said the Jews whipped up a mob. They went to outsiders. They were mad that Paul was including outsiders. And then the Jews went to outsiders to include them into a mob to force Paul out. This isn't the first time the Jews are full of jealousy when Paul preached. In Acts 13, 45, we were there. Uh, we went through this. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. And they, they began to contradict what Paul was saying and heat abuse on him. Whenever people get obsessed with jealousy, they demonstrate a, a misconception of truth. The, the Jews were very careful to guard their own misconceived rights, their privileges, their status as the only people of God. Resentful suspicion of the Gentiles and, and their new influence completely enraged these Jews. They were jealous because they were no longer the important ones to God. They were no longer the sole importance or the sole influence of morality. And what is jealousy? We can't go further until we really discuss what jealousy is. I've heard people call jealousy the green-eyed monster. Jealousy is a, a monster within us, they say, that when released can do very bad, major damage in our lives and in the lives of others. And probably all of us at one time have had a battle with jealousy. But we confuse jealousy with envy. Envy is when you want something someone else has. They've got the nicer car, the nicer house, the nicer relationship, the nicer stuff, and you want that. You want more of that. That is envy. Jealousy is when you fear losing something you already have or something you should have. Jealousy is when they are taking something away from me, and I need it. I want it. What does it mean when somebody says, well, they're from the other side of the tracks? 
What's it? Huh? The bad side. That means they're from the bad side. With every town, there seems to be a bad side of the town. There's a the wrong side of the tracks. The same thing is here in the city of jealousy. There is good, righteous jealousy, and there is sinful jealousy. Your insecurities cause you to fear losing something that's important to you. You fear losing your job to a co-worker who sucks up to the boss all the time. You fear losing your friend at school because a new cool kid just enrolled in the class or a better-looking student has grabbed their attention. You fear losing your spouse to somebody who you believe is more attractive than you. You become jealous because you fear that loss. When we choose to live in the city of jealousy, you need to understand it will damage lives. Many times when we visit the city of jealousy, it's not a new destination. It's somewhere we've been before. The Jews in this section were living in that city. Paul preached a message about Jesus, and it said many people believed, many Jews, many Greeks, and prominent women. Wherever they show up to preach, and people come to hear this message, and this infuriated caused jealousy in these Jews. The Jewish leaders could feel their influence slipping away. This influence they had already seemed to have, or they thought they had. They feared becoming yesterday's news. They feared becoming common. So instead of listening to the truth, they became jealous and chose to stay on the wrong side of the tracks in the city of jealousy. The root of sinful jealousy is fear. And and we need to understand sinful jealousy. And I'll, I'll talk a little bit about the other. Whenever people become obsessed with jealousy, they demonstrate a misconception or misperception of truth. When you become jealous, it skews your vision, the sinful jealous, and you don't see things for how they truly are. The Jews were careful to guard their own rights, their own privileges and status. They resented these other two who were stealing it, and they thought by these two people, Paul and Silas, they were going to lose everything they had, and their misconception kept them from the actual truth that they could have a real relationship with God, not a relationship through rules. These Jews were jealous. They no longer were the important ones in the Jews. They were the people of God, and now according to Paul and Silas, All people can come in. Well, that ain't right. How would you guys feel, most of you, how would you feel if, you know, we just let Garrett's football team wear Eastside Blazer shirts? I'm seeing some, no. Why? Because they're from the other side of the tracks. (laughs) Is that what you're saying? Right there, you are the Jews looking at the other Gentiles. And that's what these guys are doing. They're looking at that saying, I am better than that. They don't deserve to wear this jersey. They don't deserve to be on our ground. This is my field. We we just saw some of that anger and animosity shown on the football field Friday night. From both sides. And none of that was right. Sometimes our jealousy is because of the bad actions of others. 
Here's some righteous, some good jealousy. Ladies, if you notice your husband spending more time with another woman than you, you have the right to be jealous because that is wrong of his actions. Kids, if your parents say, why can't you be more like your sibling? Honestly, that's a right way to be jealous. It's proper jealousy. When someone unjustly takes something away from you, unjustly takes something away from you, that is their wrong, their sin, and therefore it is okay to be jealous. God is a jealous God. When we give our allegiance, when we give our attention, when we give our focus to something other than God who rightly deserves it, he says that is wrong. That's why it's okay to have a righteous jealousy. The problem is when we cross the tracks and live in the wrong side of this city. When you start losing or fearing, and fearing takes, takes more control. It could be that it starts out as a righteous, as a right jealousy, but then because you let fear run in your life, now you start fearing, well, he's looking at that person a little bit, and always spending more time on that, always looking at that, and it starts turning into a sinful, you've crossed the tracks. Sometimes our jealousy is because of our own insecurities. Our self-esteem isn't what it should be. Our faith isn't as strong. We're allowing our past decision, our past mistakes, to rule our present day. Our personal insecurities can cause us to become jealous because we think we should have this and it's been taken away from us. No matter the, uh, the reason for our jealousy, if we don't get it under control, the action of sinful jealousy leads to hate. When you start letting fear run in your jealousy realm, and then that starts growing, it leads us to hate. These Jews whipped up a mob based on false accusations. They storm into Jason's home. We don't know anything other than Jason was a believer. He was meeting with the home church. It probably started in this house. They couldn't find Paul and Silas in there, so they dragged Jason out and the other believers who were there and forced them to... Pay a bond. Instead of communicating their fears with Paul and saying, hey, you keep saying this. I want to know what this really means. How does this change my whole hit, um, heritage? How does this change what I know of the Old Testament? How does this change what I know about faith in God? Instead of communicating that, they let fear lead them into hate. We all know what jealousy can do. And kids, don't we? Jealousy causes fights, verbal, physical. Jealousy causes kids to isolate, taunt others. Jealousy causes manipulation. And jealousy isn't just for kids. Seeing all that in adults. This is a true story. If, if you ever want to see the bad behavior of a lot of adults, go out shopping on Black Friday. It's just true. I was out one time. We were trying to get stuff. We got there and was out of the store within an hour. But while I was there, I saw a fist fight over a plastic Barbie Jeep. It was the last one. This lady said, I deserve this. You're taking this from me. This lady said, no, this is mine. There was jealousy. 
It resulted in a fist fight over a $5 piece of plastic. Jealousy does that. And in the end, neither one of them got it. Because it fell on the floor and some other lady grabbed it and ran it. Jealousy, sinful jealousy, is not a kid's thing. Adults will try to tear each other's down. They try to tear down people's reputations that they're jealous of. Adults will try to manipulate somebody with guilt. When you are tempted to live in the sinful side of the city of jealousy, there's no telling what that fear and hate will lead you to do. James 3.16 says, For wherever there is jealousy... Selfish ambition, there you'll find disorder and evil of every kind. It's almost like jealousy is the opening door for Satan to come and run rampant through your mind. It'll cause you to do a lot of hateful things, and those terrible things have lasting consequences. The result of sinful jealousy is painful loss. But it's not the painful loss of just others. It's also the painful loss of yourself. When we fear, when the root of jealousy, the sinful jealousy, is fear of losing something important to you. But if we let jealousy run rampant, we also end up losing like both those ladies over the Barbie Jeep. They both lost not only the Jeep, not only the idea of giving the gift to their daughter, but they lost Store privileges, they were escorted out. They lost a little bit of coloring on their face. No, they added coloring with some cuts and bruises. They lost reputation. People lost respect for them over a Barbie Jeep. This town in Thessalonica, these Jews living in the city of sinful jealousy, these Jews were so filled with jealousy and hate that they missed out on truth, on the gospel, and they chose to remain spiritually lost. They gave their souls up into the city of jealousy. So you need to know, we need to know, when we choose to live in the sinful side, on the other side of the tracks, in sinful jealousy, it will hurt us. It's not hurting them. It is going to hurt us first. Then it's going to hurt the close people around you, those you care about. Many times a jealous person uh, becomes so angry they push away other people. They start putting up barriers and walls. They're afraid of losing a relationship, so then they end up pushing all relationships away, and then they get worse and worse. There's a girl we knew in high school, and she's, back then she was a really good girl, had faith. Um, actually tried to help other people stay in, in contact with God and stay on the track of faith. Got married and ended in a very bitter divorce. And because of the jealousy, she, she allowed the sinful jealousy in her life. She started reacting and responding to people in a very, very negative way. And this girl that my wife and I were friends with ended up having to block her for a while because of the hateful, negative things she was saying about us, about God. Well, because she chose to live on that wrong side, and it hurt her. It drove her kids further. They didn't want to be with their mom, who acted like that. It pushes people away. 
The actions of a jealous person are so hurtful, they can actually cause damage on your physical life. When we live in the city of jealousy, we lash out at people. And some of the sights you're going to see when you live on the wrong side of the tracks of the city of jealousy is bitterness. There's anger, resentment, loss of relationship, of anxiety, of depression, and pain. Winston Churchill, one of the greatest leaders that we've ever seen, had a father who was incredibly jealous of him, of his son's success. In Churchill's book, he said this, um, he says, I would rather have been the apprentice for a bricklayer, run errands as a messenger boy, or dress the windows in the local shops if it would have meant the support of my father. I would rather give up all this prestige, all this reputation, everything I have gained on my own because of how my father is so jealous. I'd rather have it all taken away and be a simple little bricklayer if that would mean my dad would be proud of me. Jealousy caused the family to split. Fear of loss can cause us to become jealous, but the very jealousy can cause us to eventually lose what we're fearing to lose. Jealous actions can cause your boss to have loss of respect for you. Jealousy will get in the way of your relationship with others and with God. I've known many jealous people who uh, go to church. They're jealous of other people's successes. They're jealous because they think they deserve it. I've seen Christians actually jump from church to church to church because they have burned so many relationships out of their jealousy that they deserve this. They are entitled to this, and it's going to other people, and then they go to a new church. There are some church people who dwell in jealousy because the music style has changed from what they really like. Or the style of clothing doesn't fit their ideals. Church people can sit in jealousy because they view the world through legalistic lenses, as we looked at a couple weeks ago. And they they want to see the world around them crumble down. And so they can say, see, I told you so. I was right. I was the moral superior. I was the intellectual right one. You should have come to me first. That's all on the bad side of jealousy. Thankfully, we don't have to live there. So far, it's been kind of a negative sermon. But it doesn't have to be. We can overcome this jealousy. Again, if someone is causing us to be jealous because of their their sins, it's, it's the rightful way to be jealous. We need to communicate with them. We need to talk and pray. We need to seek God to bring restoration instead of going over the tracks and becoming resentful. The remedy for sinful jealousy is humility. And even the remedy of other, the righteous um, jealousy is humility. Meaning, I feel like you've wronged me. I feel like you've taken this away. That means I go, actually put, put my feelings aside and go talk. Imagine if we communicate more. You know, even God did that. He humbled himself to come communicate to us by becoming a human and dying on a cross for us so that we can actually know how much we have 
wronged him and stolen his proper glory and honor, he humbled himself even to the point of death. When we take our eyes off of us, off of others, and actually focus on God, then we can actually leave the city of jealousy. We can truly look at who we are, who God is. We can leave the city limits of jealousy and start living a better life. When we look at God, not circumstances, not feelings, not what we think is being taken away, but only God, then we can come back to the realization that, you know what, God's in trouble. I've been hurt. I've been slighted. This is really penetrated into my psyche. But God's in control. Instead of choosing to be jealous, even the rightful kind, I'm going to humbly back up and say, God, I need you to handle them. I give this to you. Then we can choose to be humble. Choosing to be humble means a growth in trusting God. Acts 17.10. That very night, the believers sent Paul and Silas to Berea. When they arrived there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. We just saw that there was a mob formed up against them, that they were going to be dragged out. We saw that they actually dragged out this beginning church, Jason and the other believers. That very night, Paul and Silas, the believers sent them on. And Paul and Silas didn't retaliate. They didn't go to the next town and start, did you see what those guys did to me? Did you hear what these Jews, these false Jews, these heretics, these people, they didn't preach like that. Instead of getting jealous and doing something stupid, Paul and Silas trusted God that the Lord had a plan for them. They went to the city and did the thing they were called to do, which was they went to the synagogue and started preaching and teaching. They didn't allow jealousy to settle in. They simply trusted the Lord, which this tells me, guess what? We don't have to live in jealousy. I can choose to trust God. There are times, there are times that I get very jealous of other ministers. They, they, have better clothing sense, that's obvious. They don't fumble over their words as much as I do. They've got a larger pay package. They get to go on different trips. Their attendances keep going up. They're asked to speak at other conferences. And then they write books and people buy them. And I live in a city without a blinking light. There are times I am struggling with jealousy. And every time I do, it's because I'm looking here, not there. And I have to stop and say, okay, God, I do love this church. Look what you're doing in this church in spite of me. Look what you're doing in this church, and it's all your glory. The journey to... um, Humility of humbling ourselves, trusting God is with admitting, confessing, I get jealous. That whole thing I didn't write in there because I didn't want to say it. I didn't want to say that part because it sounds egotistical and arrogant. That I get jealous of other ministers of how good they speak and how big their churches are, what kind of stuff they get to go to or drive or places they go. 
but yet it's scriptural. Look at James 3.14. But if you have bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. When we have jealousy growing in us, when we're choosing to live in that, we have to let go of it. First of all, we've got to stop justifying it. Call it for what it is. Quit saying, well, I, I should be jealous because of this. I deserve to be. I am entitled. Jealousy on the wrong side of the tracks is a sin. There is no reason for it other than sin. Call it for what it is and confess it to God. Unjust jealousy is a sin. Whatever circumstances you find yourself in, place your complete trust in the one who understands and who can actually help. Look what he says in Psalm 62. Let all that I am wait quietly before God, for my hope is in him. Not yelling and complaining to him. I'm going to wait quietly. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress, and I will not be shaken. My victory and honor come from God. Alone, not my standing, not my tr- abilities, not my intellect. He is my refuge, a rock where no enemy can reach me. Oh, my people, trust in Him at all times, including when jealousy is beckoning you to live in its city. Pour out your heart to Him, for our God is a refuge. God does not want us to have unjust jealousy. He does not want us to live in that city. So he beckons us. He tells us to trust in him. Trust in the one who made you and actually knows you, who understands you, who will help you, who will be your rock, your salvation, your refuge. He's going to be the one that you can lean on when you don't have the strength. He's going to be your rock, your foundation. He's going to be your shield when everything seems to be coming at you and hurting you. You can go behind him and he will protect you. And it says, in him I will not be shaken. No matter what's happening out here, this will not move. His word will not move. And when I live on it, when I stand on it, when I let go of the jealousies and say, it is your will, God. And nothing can move me, because nothing will move God from righteousness. We need to ask God to help us replace any jealousy, unjust jealousy, with a humble heart and a trusting spirit in him. We also, just as a little side note, need to be careful not to overreact to situations when those Jealousy starts skewing our misconceptions, our viewing of things. Don't overreact. Ask the God to help us concentrate more on Him and help us to confess our tendencies to envy or jealousy. The Jews failed to realize that Christ always, always requires um, change to bring improvements to his church. God always requires that. The Jewish leaders did not recognize that the synagogue was inadequate, even though scripture said it beforehand, to meet the needs of the people. The religious authorities did not want to welcome outsiders in their midst. They had grown comfortable with the status quo. The Jews concentrated on what they were opposed to more than what God stood for. They committed themselves to oppose the teachings of Paul. The Jews hated the fact 
that they were exposed for neglecting the free offers, the free offer of salvation in Christ. How many of you ever had a surgery? Okay. Anybody just say, man, that was pleasant. Surgeries are painful. They are to go in there, fix something, remove something, but it's painful. Nobody signs up, man, I can't wait for another surgery. That's just wrong thinking. And spiritual surgery is also painful. And there may be a time we say, God, I need you to cut this out of me. I need you to purposely move me out of this city. And it may be painful. You know, I had back surgery a few years ago. And I was walking like I had a board strapped to my back before that. It hurt. I couldn't move very well. And then I did the surgery and I said, this is worse than the pain I had before. I hated it. And you can talk to my wife and kids. I was a baby. Oh, my goodness. I was painful. And now I, I, I have a little bit more momentum than that. When we go through this surgery, the spiritual surgery of allowing God to go up and take that out, guess what happens? Our spiritual life has more mobility. It has more momentum, which means it can go to more places to share his word. What are the source of quarrels and conflicts? Usually it's sinfulness. And is it? I mean, think about your own life. Where are there quarrels and conflicts in your life? Are any of them do are any of them there because of sinful jealousy on your part? What about today? What about Christians today? Do we ever get jealous? Do we ever reach um, overreach, uh, react out of jealousy? When the world knows what we are against far more than what they know we are for. When they know we're going to stand up here and preach and teach about hate instead of the love and grace of Christ? Does it ever start putting a negative spin on us and what God wants to say? When our reputation is is lost due to flippant remarks? When we see others having joy coming to the Lord and we're upset because they don't look, they don't talk, they don't act like me? not just joyful that God is welcoming another person into the kingdom. If you're struggling with jealousy of any kind, I want to tell you something right now. We're here to help. Not because we've got it together, but because I've been in that city. I've lived there, and I I hate it over there. And I want to leave. And I can show you how I do that through Scripture, not through Donnie Tips. you come and say, you know what, I struggle with this. I need help to be more humble. I need more help to trust God more. I need more help to get my eyes off of me and focus on God. And then we can be like Paul and Silas and not speak out of resentment, bitterness, but actually keep speaking the life-giving message of Christ, no matter what happens. If that needs to be you, won't you come today? Let's stand and let's sing to our God.